Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 610 Media acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, the Gubby Gubby people, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and future. A quick disclaimer before we start. Tear It Down is a podcast about all things mental health. Therefore, it may contain coarse language, adult themes, and subject matter that may be distressing to some listeners, such as suicide, self-harm, and references to drug and alcohol abuse. Please, listen at your own discretion. If you yourself are struggling, you can reach out to Lifeline on 13 1114. Well, g'day. Welcome back to Tear It Down, tearing the stigma down of mental health, one story at a time. I'm Jamie Poltz, and this is episode seven, would you believe? So that's seven weeks, actually, no, six weeks, because I kind of cheated and put the other bonus one in as an episode. But yeah, so seven episodes. Thank you so much for listening and accompanying me on this journey, and I hope it's going away to tearing the stigma down for yourself. Well, how does that happen? Well, simply, the more we talk about it, the more it normalizes it. So let's get it out there. So on that note, if you are enjoying the show, please go and tell your friends and your family and share it with everybody, put it on your social media, give us a rating and review. It goes a long way to helping the show. And that's pretty much it for announcements. Well, actually, that's not true. Australian Story, Episode 3, talking about Kira McLaughlin's suspicious death, The Road to Justice. That just went to air on Monday the 16th of August. You can find it on iView or on YouTube. For anyone watching overseas, I will post the links in my social media so you can go have a look at that. Anyway, let's dive straight in. This guest today is Terry Cornick, otherwise known as Tell. So Terry originates from England, but a number of years ago he moved over met his wife, he's got three kids now. Terry started a charity called Mr. Perfect. It's a grassroots charity that's spread nationwide, helping many people. Terry's done a lot of work for the community, all in the name of men's mental health. So welcome to the show, Terry. Thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, can't wait to get chatting. I know we know each other a little bit, but uh, yeah, can't wait to speak a little deeper. Yeah, and that's funny because, you know, we've known each other for, for years now because our wives, you know, went to school together. Uh, but Correct, yeah. You know, I've, even though we've talked a lot about this subject, I've never actually fully heard your story. And I know where the name Mr. Perfect came from, but why don't you just, before we get into all that, why don't you just tell us your story? Absolutely. So I'll give you the... Um... I guess the nutshell story of how I got to where I am now and, and Mr. Perfect. So I was born in the UK, in London, North London, lived most of my sort of early life just outside of London, although I am now an Australian and an Irishman. That's another story. And 
I I guess we came from a uh, this is not to like bag out my family. I'm very careful when I talk about sort of the the history and everything, but we came from a fairly working class, I guess, family. Um, big big family uh, cousins, you know, un- aunties, uncles, everything else on both sides of my family, my dad and my mum's side. But we both came from sort of work. I guess you'd call it working class, whatever you want to uh, say. Um, I was a very quiet kid. Uh, I had two brothers, the older one and the younger one. When I was growing up, early early days, I knew from an early age that things weren't right with sort of my parents, and it was a very fractious relationship. And I don't really have very good memories of my my dad when when I was young. Um, I remember him being around, but. Uh, not so much and just sort of coming home from work and, and basically um, there was a lot of tension. Um, not a great relationship, my mum and dad, to say the least. My dad subsequently was an alcoholic and I don't know too much about his story. I've never really delved deep enough into it, but he was an alcoholic, uh, passed some years ago now. But um, So he was obviously going through his own battles and challenges and I, for a long time, you know, held that in a lot of resentment. But since I guess I started Mr. Perfect and accessing my own help, I've uh, I kind of see it in a very different light now. I knew he must have had his demons to be where he was at. So that's a that's a whole other story. But um, yeah, grew up just outside of London. Um, didn't really want for much as such. We we didn't have it tough by any means. But I went to school. I was good academically, uh, but very quiet. I was a well, some of my teachers would say you were like a mute. I didn't say a word. Like I, I was anxious, kid, nervous, couldn't communicate verbally very well. Um, so I just bottled everything up. Whether it was a good thing or a bad thing happened to me as a kid, I was super, super sensitive. So people might just think, oh, he was a quiet kid, but really I was internalizing a lot of things that were going on in our family as well. I had a couple of things that I saw and I guess happened to me as a kid and I'm getting too much detail, but uh, it definitely would define who I was now and I shouldn't have seen or, or have happened to me. And I repressed all of those things as I, that was like, you know, that's my classic, um, that's my best skill or it was. And went to school, went to high school, started to discover as I, you know, hit sort of puberty, that sort of age. Um, relationships with girls was, was an interesting one because I, um, again, like expressing any sort of emotion in the right way was really tricky for me. Whether it was good or bad, I just didn't know how to do it. So it often didn't come out very well when it did. Uh, ended up going to uni, uh, went to uni, really struggled with sort of the socialising aspect there. So around sort of, I guess, I don't know, 16 when I was to school, discovered drinking, right? So my mates going out drinking, they're a bit a lot more confident than I was, but getting into pubs and going to parks and whatnot, local parks and drinking, and I couldn't handle my drink whatsoever. So that made my emotions, you know, even worse when I'd had a drink. But uh, I, again, did really well to repress any issues I was really going through. And whenever things did rear up or I'd get emotional when I was um, uh, maybe drunk or hungover or whatever, I was just the best at hiding it. I'd hide away in my room. I wouldn't go out that day. I'd stay in my bed. Uh, my family didn't really know how to deal with it. They were going through their own issues. Uh, we moved around a lot. So there was just so much going on in our family that no one really ever addressed mental health issues. And, and I look back now and there was a lot, a lot of stuff that either it's, you know, nature or nurture. There was things in all across the family that probably some, some of it's probably not even discussed today. But eventually finished uni, came back to my hometown in um, 
in Watford and uh, realized I didn't know what I wanted to do. I never really had a lot of guidance from anyone to say, oh, this is what you should do professionally. I knew I was a good writer. So I could, from an early age, write probably at a way higher level, like, you know, 10 years above my level. And I could communicate that way perfectly. I could write a novel about what I was feeling or about a story or about something, but verbalizing, I just couldn't. So I went and did, um, I did media writing at uni, but returned from there and <laughs> somehow sadistically um, got a job in recruitment, which is just, it, I look back now and go, it was almost like my life, I was just being moved along with no control over it. It was a little bit of a blur. Like I was making decisions that now I look back and go, how did these things come about? I almost just went with it. I just went with the flow and accepted what was there at the time. Uh, I was deeply unhappy, sort of early 20s. And, um, you know, I was sort of having moments where I was at home and just breaking down, crying, suicidal. Uh, many a time I was close to doing something, you know, that I would, you know, would later regret, I guess. Um, and I still couldn't access any professional help or no one sort of advised me to. And when they did, it was, oh, you'll be okay. This is just, you're just upset at the moment. This is, you're just tired. You're just stressed. And no one would have that deeper conversation with me. And uh, when I got this recruitment job trying, uh, I started and I realized it was very intense to begin with. And there was no sympathy there. Like you try to get a time off work or for a doctor's appointment or anything like that. And um, that was just the height of, darkness around that time probably about 23 22 23 and again i'd never accessed any professional help so <laughs> someone suggested to me to go and see a, a faith healer like a, i don't know what you call it now but i thought they were psychologists or counselor i went to them it was kind of like that but then they were putting crystals on me at the end and i just agreed that it was working because i just wanted to get out of there um, so those are the sort of things that i did to like, tackle my mental health and Look, relationships were hard then as well. I had a couple of relationships where um, one of the girls said to me, she noticed, she said, I think I just broke down one day and I tried not to do it in front of her, but I was at her house and she just said to me, she didn't know how to deal with it. She's a couple of years younger and said, the color from your eyes is like gone. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, and she said, your eyes are like gray. And it was just this weird comment for someone to make. And around the same time, a mate of me stopped me in the street while I was on a lunch break and said, and I tried to talk to him about my weekend and I probably had a big weekend drinking and I was already sort of want to come down. And he said, you look like you've got the weight of the world like on your shoulders. And he just made this comment and it, I could tell he, he knew something was up, but I quickly went, slammed that down, carried on walking, you know, changed the subject. So there was all these signs. There was a lot of signs. There was a lot of blow-ups, but I tried a lot of them to be sort of privately, I guess. And uh, then the chance came to go to Australia. And a mate of mine who... There's a bit of a um, theme with me. My all my best mates, and uh, some would say my partner as well, my wife. They tend to be different characters to me, and they always tend to be the more extrovert, and I was the introvert, and I was always attracted to that in a weird way. So, like my best mates have always been the crazy ones and like just salespeople, extroverts, you know, living life to the max, um, not thinking about tomorrow. You know, very like feisty sometimes, and. I, one of my mates of football, I was, didn't even like him that much at the time. We did get on, but he used to drive me insane. And he just said, oh, I'm going to Australia. This is around this time I was in a deep darkness, I guess. Do you want to come? And this was so out of character for me. And I just went, yeah, right. Like, what do I have to do? And booked this flight. And he said, yeah, we'll go for, you know, I've got an Australian mate there who I met at Camp America. I'm going to stay with him. You can come a few months after. We'll go up the coast. And for me, that was just the escape. So 
I had no concept of Australia really. I went and even on the plane going over, I already had this horrible feeling it was a stupid mistake to, to run away. But again, I couldn't say it. I couldn't go back. I had this leaving party with my mates. I arrived in Australia and I remember walking around Sydney Harbour on my second day. And again, I could see everything in like grayscale. I was looking going, this is so underwhelming. Like really? I thought that would solve I thought that would solve my problems. Yeah. I thought my mental state would just suddenly be better because I'm in a sunny place and look at this, you know, streets of paper gold kind of thing. And and it wasn't. And, but that um, big black dog follows you everywhere, mate. Yeah. And I, that was a horrible realization. But again, I did what I did best. I kind of repressed it, um, <laughs> did a year of traveling, came back to the UK. Um, so I messed up I messed up a bit of the timeline there. I'd actually gone traveling to Australia, came back for a year to the UK, and then went back again. And on the first time traveling, I met my now wife and um, sort of blown away by her sort of completely different character and outlook on life. And we ended up, you know, meeting again in London. And eventually she said, Do you want to go back permanently? And I said, Yeah, like get me out of here, kind of thing. Applied for a visa. It was very easy to get then. Don't know how we did it arrived in australia and had part two of shit like this is the most underwhelming thing ever but i had the same feeling on the flight arriving at the airport what am i doing this is stupid and i knew in my heart part like i wasn't in a space to like give her a good relationship or, or love her as i could and everything else and i think she deep down knew that within four weeks we had some issues we split up um i was here no one literally no one uh started a new job and I don't know how I just thought I sat there one night and someone at work, luckily I didn't even know, so it comes down my couch. And I, I was in a bad spot and I just remember sitting on my laptop and I had an Etihad flight up and I was about to book it. I'm a credit card ready. You know when you put like the security code in at the end with three yep. digits? That was where I was at. And I went, I've got to book this, go back to the UK after, you know, four or six weeks, whatever it was. And I didn't do it. And I just put it down and went to work and basically just got my head down at work and started to do, channeled everything into work. And it was a bit sort of work hard, play hard. I was managed to live with a mate close, a mate of a mate close by on his, you know, in his house. He had a spot going, and for about six to nine months, I just got my head down, but was doing all right at work. And I think everyone was sort of surprised. Um, randomly met my now wife again in a uh, a bar. It wasn't planned. Like six months later, started dating again, and the rest is history. But during that next. I don't know, I got back with her the next sort of three, four years. I basically went on this pathway where I was living the perfect life. My work just kept going up and up and up. I was making lots of money, never seen the sort of money in my life. Like it might seem silly, but it's, yeah, it was a decent amount of money. But when I lived in a nice place in Mossman Bay in, in Sydney, if anyone knows Mossman, I was only renting it, didn't have any assets or anything, but could go on any holiday I wanted, you know, mm. <laughs> literally living on the water in Sydney on the harbour, um, going out to any restaurant we could possibly go to like life should have been if you put that at me when i was 10 so this is what your life's gonna be i was no chance or even at 20 like this is never this isn't me and i felt a big fraud i started to you know meet friends of friends and people and they came from you know backgrounds in sydney that had affluence and money and all sorts but not necessarily they were flash with it but i felt the biggest fraud and I was coming home every three months in the height of this perfect life and just breaking down the usual, like anything that would test me a little bit or an argument with my wife or whatever, break down, go on this cycle of feel like this is the end of the world, 
perhaps you know, I'm suicidal again. And it just went on like this. And until probably 2013, I think that's when my dad passed away, got the news. My dad was basically end of um, coming towards the end of his life. Uh, thought uh, I had a bit of one of these moments. So I was like, okay, I'm going to fly back. Had the money to do it. Flew back, saw him the day before he passed away. Um, wanted to say all these things to him. I built up all this anger and like pent up stuff. And he looked like he was 90 years old and he just, he couldn't even barely make a noise, you know, sitting in his bed. So I didn't say anything. And then he passed the next day. And I did the classic what I do. Like I was devastated. Um, went back to my mom's, like went to the bedroom, closed the door, cried my eyes out. Next day, pretended it had not happened. I was just like, nah, went back to Sydney, returned back in Sydney and had this moment of, I didn't even tell my boss that my dad passed away. I just went back to work. And then I went, hold on, this isn't right. Like I'm about to have planned family. We plan to get married. We're doing all these things. And I think eventually even my wife might have said, look, come on, like if this is still ruining his head, you should go to the doctor. So I am... before that, though, I, I sort of used my writing skills to start writing a blog, which is anonymous blog, cost me like five bucks a month um, on Wix. And it was it was crap, really, when I think about it. But it was a way for me to like, express what I was thinking at the time. Yeah, um, And that led me to write. It's just so random when I think about it now. And I haven't looked at it since. I wrote basically my story, a book, essentially. It's like 100,000 words, up to my age of that point, 30. And then I just put it aside. And someone said to me one day, I think I told someone when I was drunk, my mate, I was out in the pub, I said, oh, I've written this blog, but you can't tell anyone. And I showed him it on my phone. I think he even forgot the next day. Yeah. And he said, why do you call it Mr. Perfect? I said, oh, another mate of mine calls me that because he just thinks, he teases me and says, you know, your wife's beautiful, you live in a nice place, boss loves you, all this crap. And that was like the sarcastic thing. He didn't know my struggles. Um, and it was just a culmination of events. I finally went to a GP. He said, how long have you felt like this? And I went, uh, I don't remember a time in my life I didn't feel like this. And he kind of like looked at me and his face dropped and he went, okay, I think you need to go and see someone. No, this is serious. Um, sent me to a psychiatrist. That went well for about six months. For the first few sessions, I, I'm working in healthcare with doctors and I didn't even know what they were supposed to do. Mm. No one educates, unfortunately, men on this. The boys, like, they just say, here's your path. Off you go straight to clinical he gave me some medication, antidepressants, took that for a while. But after about six, seven, eight sessions, I was paying 350 bucks just to sit there and literally look at me and I had to make stuff up <laughs> to say. I thought, hold on, <laughs> because I've got rid of this 30 years of stuff now, I'm yeah. not fixed in any way, shape or form, but at least there must be something more than this now. Like, I need to kind of, I need some strategies. I need to work out how to, you know, and just delve a bit deeper. I'm very analytical mind anyway. And I just said, okay, I don't think this is working now. And then I went on a couple of years path of just, like we had my first son um, and I kind of, I quit my job. Like it was going really well. I just couldn't be asked. I was like, no, nah, I don't care about the money. We'll be fine. Um, had a few jobs in healthcare that I just, you know, didn't really enjoy, but just sort of plodding around had some flexibility when my boy was born and then I just sat in a pub with my mates and I just told him one day I just said look um two of my closest mates and said I'm going through this uh I'm seeing a doctor I've seen a psych- psychiatrist I now want to see a counselor psychologist you know I'm trying to find a GP it's good for me and they both just sat and didn't say anything and they went well actually yeah like when I was struggling with X I went here and I was like why have we never discussed this ever yeah this was seven eight years of known people maybe a little bit less but two of my closest mates and just in that moment we went shit like maybe we should do something about this and 
The show will return after this quick break. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I went on my own personal journey of trying all sorts of things, and it's only now I've got in a groove of finding what works for me. I found a great psychologist by basically seeing him at a speech presentation thing and just emailed him afterwards said, can I come and see you? Turns out now, five, four or five years later, he's one of the most prominent psychologists in the country. I see him on telehealth every few months. But he just has been a revelation for me. I stopped taking medication. Um, and the Mr. Perfect thing came about as it morphed from this blog to the barbecues because we sat in that pub and went, okay, there's more than just the clinical side. Like there's other things we can be doing. You know, there's a number of different things work for people. Whether you, a lot of people will talk down on things that are non-clinical that might not work. But for men, we have no idea. We're just not educated on these things and we struggle to kind of experiment with them. So we said, we enjoy playing football, kicking a ball around. We played for a few football teams in Sydney and said, why don't we just set up our own? But all the F, all the football associations wouldn't let us do it. They were like, you need to do this, have all this money in the bank, have insurance. Finally found one that let us do it. We formed a football team. That's now a separate thing that's been really successful that has connected a lot of men in Sydney. Um, but then we went, look, football's not for everyone. So why don't we did this first kick around and 40 guys turned up and we just sat around after his chain. And that was where the goal was. I was like, shit, people are opening up here. And we just went, why don't we make this a bit more general, still do it in a park, but let's do a barbecue. Like it's an easy way for people to be around, you know, a thing and um, sort of a central point. So I just put an ad on Gumtree and meetup.com and it's a bit ironic. Like I'm, I'm an introvert and I was panicking big time about this, me setting up this thing where people I don't know are going to turn up for two hours in a park every month and talk to me about their problems or maybe they don't. And then I've got to talk and like cook and it was a bit overwhelming. And like the first one we ever did, that was in Surrey Hills in the park in Sydney. This guy turns up, he's from Canberra. Um, student and he was telling us a bit about his story and uh we <laughs> later transpired he had social anxiety but me and my mates were three of us there and on mr perfect t-shirts just but we were so anxious and nervous but excited like we bombarded him questions like so and then afterwards we went that was really good but maybe we we like, reflected and went that's probably not the most best way to go about this so <laughs> we just refined our model over the months and as it grew six months later you know 10 people turned up and we started advertising in a few places. A mate of mine said, why don't you set it up as an incorporation? So we just fumbled our way through it, got some legal help, did a trivia night in a RSL, got some money to set it, like to pay for the legal stuff. And then it just rolled. Like I've been doing it on top of a job, but it's been, I call it like a, a we joke like we're an overnight success. We just had some like national media coverage, but we are like a five and a half year overnight success. Like it's been, just a very gradual building. And we didn't, I didn't plan a charity, never. Didn't want to run a charity. Had no strategy to say, I want 50 of these running across the country. None of that. Like that never happened. Not even, didn't even entertain my mind. I just thought, let's do this. If it works, then it's, at least we've connected and I feel good about it. 
Um, but it was, it was interesting because the first two years of Mr. Perfect from sort of 2016, I still not sorted my own shit out at all or not even got on the path to do it. So I was the biggest hypocrite about it. I was like telling people you should do this. And and uh, now I've, I've found kind of what works for me. I have my challenges all the time, my three little boys. But as you know, like it's stressful <laughs> is not the word. Like you yeah. bet they, you know, as much as they can be, they can hinder my anxiety and like my struggles. They're also the reason for them to, you know, for me to control them and manage them and everything yeah. else. So five years later, after starting the charity, five and a half years later, um, yeah, we've got 45 locations where we run barbecues every month. That's um, fantastic. We've got, a, we've got a corporate sponsor who gives us money to run every year. Um, we just recently had a board meeting where I just panicked and was like, what are we doing? Like, are we doing enough? Are, you know, why are we not November size? And I just had all these weirds as I was panicking big time and yeah. thinking it. And they just, they kind of brought me into line and were like, Terry, we never planned. We've always said grassroots, local community, keep it small, be that connection for people. Even if it's just, you're there for one person to turn up and it kind of regrounded me. So life's a bit busy. Just had a newborn now. Uh, Congratulations. Ago, so thank you. Thank you very much. And like, I joke when people ask, but, it's like, um, yeah, like someone up there, I'm not uh, religious in any way, shape or form, or I don't know. That's one thing I've always, I'm quite existential about things and it can be good and bad. Like it can make me go, why are we here sometimes? And like that struggle mentally, that makes me struggle. But on the other hand, I go, someone somewhere is like <laughs> either testing me or giving me three boys to make this right. Yeah. So that's the way I try and look at it. I go, I've got three boys. I don't want to go through what I did. I'm going to raise them the best I can. I also want them to know when challenges come, wherever time they may be, they have multiple options, not just clinical. They have options to speak to me. They have options to speak, go and do things and be involved in sport, community and friends. Mm-hmm. That is always in my mind daily, like every single day. Like it's, and as you know, three boys, yeah. I, I worry about their future, but I also know I'm also optimistic that with all these community things that go on right now and the highlight of mental health, this can only be a good thing that we're more aware of it. So I hope by the end, this is a long game. I said to everyone, they're like, oh, brilliant, all the work you've done. I'm like, look, things aren't going to change probably until the next generation. Mm-hmm. In, in reality, it's going to take a long time for people to be, for guys to get re-educated to, um, to truly understand how to deal with like challenges and their mental yep. health. So yeah, it's full on, full on life at the moment. <laughs> so, well, that's mate. It's yeah. so, it's such a, Sorry if I rambled. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Like, I mean, you're an inspiration because like you said before, you are an introvert and you're socially mm. anxious as you, in your own words. And, mm. you know, for you to put that out, out on Gumtree uh, and say, look, come meet here and, and you have to get up and speak to people. That's huge, mate. That's huge. And that's the whole idea of this show is to show people that you can have all these issues but still achieve what you need to achieve. It's not a death sentence, you know, like you are a, a true testament to that. And now with 45 locations where people can just come and grab a snag and, and chat and, and know that the most comforting thing is to know that someone else has been through what you're going through because you feel like mm. you're the only person and you'll never get better. So Absolutely. it's brilliant what you've achieved, mate. And uh, I have nothing but respect for that. 
Thank you. Appreciate it. And I, I look back at those moments and I go, the real darkest moments. And I go, I told myself and I told, I think I probably said to my wife when I first met her, when I had a moment where she caught me in a, you know, in a, I guess, a depressed state. And I said, I'm a freak. Like I said, I can't. And that was the words I used. And I look back at it now and I go, wow. Like to go from, to have those moments of just like despair to the point where you go, there is no option or there's no hope, but we've got to be patient. And I, I really, I struggle sometimes because I obviously hear a lot of stories from people and I'm not a clinician, no way, shape or form. I have no knowledge of, I don't, I don't tell anyone any advice. I used to give like a little bit of advice and now I'm like, no, I'll listen, I'll support, I'll do everything I can. But here are a multitude of options that might be good for you. This works for me. This doesn't work for so-and-so. And then I find myself looking back like at this weird out-of-body experience to go, I couldn't even talk in front of people at work 10 years ago in a presentation. And to kind of build, I built this various like step-by-step every year, like every six months of, oh, shit, I just did an interview with someone on the newspaper. I was scared of just them asking me questions on the phone. And then it was, oh, actually, I just spoke on a podcast or, you know, whatever it might be. And it's just been step-by-step-by-step of building that confidence and it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or not when you truly it's true it's truth and it's passionate and something you you feel about you will talk forever about it and you'll you'll do the right thing and you'll have the right intent um so yeah it's been it's been incredible even last week was our national um, sunrise weekend sunrise abc we had this article that went out which just blew up and we had you know ridiculous amounts of people get in touch we might have something with SBS soon. We're going to do a program, which is unreal. And, and I sat there on Tuesday at work, my day job in, in the city. I just had a moment of like overwhelm. I just, it blocked out all of this and all this attention and everything. I went to the toilet. I was just like crying my eyes out for 10 minutes. And I went, I've not cried for so long. Right. <laughs> I just be, but I like all this stuff with the baby, like having, and I, I just go, yeah, it's fine. People ask me, oh, it's fine having a baby, you know, it must be stressful. It must be like, God, you got a lot on your plate. I'm like, yes, we can deal with that, you know, whatever. And then, but it wasn't, you know, like a despair moment. And I was very conscious of that. I was just like, wow. It just all came At a moment, I'm like, survive this. All these things great are happening. My kids are healthy. Family are good. This is great. But I just had to have that moment. And I had 10 minutes of that in the toilet. I, was, <laughs> I felt good about it because I was like, okay, cool. And then we went to work and I was fine. I'm happy as anything else. You know, focused and, but I think it just built up. I hadn't. I don't sometimes allow myself to enjoy those moments. I think that's hard. Like it's a challenge to be present. Exactly. Um, it's daily. I just have to deal with it. There's, I can plan as much as I like, and I'm a planner. But really, daily, I just try and give myself those those points to say, "Be yeah, present." You got up. You got your kids ready. Enjoy this moment. Take them to kindy. Do what you need. You know. And you just have to build on it. So yeah. yeah instead of it being stressful, like. You know, the witching hour at night time, the bath time, the dinner time. Instead of that being stressful, we should embrace it and be like, you know what? When they're 20 years old, we're going to wish yeah. that we actually enjoyed those times. So, absolutely. My, my psychologist says to me, it's just so much like wisdom he comes out with sometimes. And um, he just says to me, you, I ruminate like a lot. So, like, I'll be there with them, but I'm not there. You know, like, yeah. it's really hard to like pull yourself back because you're thinking about all these other things. He says, just get off the train. And I was like, what are, what's he talking about? And then I explained, he's like, you're on this train where like you don't, 
you feel like you can't get off the stops. Like it's stopping, the train's stopping on this line, but like you you think it's you can't get off. Is that you can like at every point you can just choose to like get off and 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 check out for a bit no matter how long that is he goes that takes time though don't expect to suddenly be present for an hour away or going to be just sitting there like on a you know sun lounger and enjoying a holiday where you're not even thinking about anything he said you just have to train yourself and take it day by day give yourself five minutes to the kids give yourself five minutes to breathe give you five minutes to do that um, that's great advice so yeah yeah it's unbelievable it sticks with me all the time i'm like get off the train terry <laughs> i don't tell myself in my head get off the train <laughs> It's it's bath time for the kids. Get off the yeah. train. Enjoy yeah. it instead of yelling. Oh, I feel yeah, like all exactly. I do is yell. <laughs> I'll never get their names yeah. right. Yeah, Carolina <laughs> said to me yesterday, I don't think this yelling is working for you, Terry. I was like, no. what do you mean? <laughs> she goes, you know, you, you try and then you just see the kids look at you and they'll be upset for two seconds after they're playing up and being naughty. And then they're like, no, nah, this isn't working anymore. I'm like, I know. I've heard this but, before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, so, you know, the, the funny thing about stigma is we have broken it quite a lot. I mean, I, I, I know who yeah. I can go and like gauging on someone's personality, I can talk to them and whatever. But if I was like on a, a concreter on a, on a job site, I don't think I would say, oh, excuse me, can I go to, uh, can I leave in half an hour because I've got to go to the doctor and uh, see if I can get a psychology appointment. Yeah. That would be hard yeah. to say. Absolutely. It would be hard, you know, because all those blokes are, you know, big burly blokes and don't like to talk about that and just talk, like to talk mm. about chicks and beers and that sort of thing. So mm. there is, there is, we have got the stigma to a point where you can talk about it, but it's not, it's not gone. That's for sure. No, there's a, I do worry, like people ask me and I say, like, again, this is just me, this is me with my Mr. Perfect hat off, like my personal opinion on where mental health is that and we've generalized it a lot to just bunch everything and uh oh there's more funding for mental health there's more this for i see it as a continuum of we see ourselves and mr perfect as the front end of it not the other end it's like when i started mr perfect i've thought of us as that oh because i was in crisis this is like a crisis thing and then now i go no no no, no. we want to be way before anyone gets to crisis like we're there for people to come to go and feel a little bit off or i'm lonely or I have no friends, or I've moved to this town, or I'm super excited and happy, but I just want to meet new people. And like that should be where we start at, not focusing constantly on the, the bad the stories crisis. and like the triggering stories and the crisis. When actually, when you look deeper, there's when I max it out, there's hundreds of community based organizations that do incredible things with no money. And but we, we block ourselves as men. This is where I think we have to take a little bit of accountability. We keep saying, oh, the system's failing us, system's failing us. I actually look back now and I go, yeah, that's the mindset I had when I was in crisis because I blamed everyone else. You know, yes, there was shit that happened to me that should never have happened or should have, it would have caused things. But also my character is one of, I, I absorb everything. I don't ask for help. So we've also got to take some responsibility and go, there are tons of options out there. And, it's a fine line between telling someone like, shut up, just go and get help and, you know, stop moaning and whinging. There's, you know, between listening first and like buying your tongue a bit. And I've had it with friends, you know, this thing sometimes they might do. I'm sure that I've done. They go, you're, you're a hypocrite. Like you can't preach to people and say, do this. If you're constantly self-sabotaging yourself, 
And I think that's where the problem is with men. We we internalize, even if we get to a point where we think we're going to talk and it comes back on ourselves and we just go, this is easy just to brush this under the carpet. And it builds and it builds and it builds and it comes out in the worst possible ways after drinking, through domestic violence, through whatever. There are no excuses for it. That's just unfortunately the truth. And giving the first platform like a soft entry point, that's how I see Mr. Perfect. I call it a soft entry point, not the hard one where like, here's a closed room, go and talk to this guy with a clipboard and he's going to give you medication. Tell me about everything. Like That was hard for me. It took me three hours to just go get a bit off my chest. I'm talking about let people come, listen, observe. For us as guys, it'll probably take six months for us to just sort of be comfortable going to a barbecue or going to talk to someone and be very understanding that you've got to be patient, very patient. Like and a, a guy who I know through some of the men's health work says to me, we've got to go where men already are, not like drag them to where they, sh- they think they should be. So, for example, having a barbecue, playing football, sometimes going to the pub that's a tricky one because of the connotation of alcohol but you know having a beer with someone having a coffee um it's got to be done in the right way it's got to be delivered in the right way and it takes time so much patience you just got to have a lot of patience but yeah well that's a great idea and you know get people before they hit crisis and you know have Mm. some things in the ground some um some support networks that they can fall back on and you know that's Mm. that's what mr perfect is all about and you're doing a great job mate Thank you, mate. Really appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show and helping us tear the stigma down. Thanks for bearing it all. And I look forward to seeing what else Mr. Perfect has for the next 10 years. Cheers, mate. Take care. See ya. If you want to check out Mr. Perfect, you can head to mrperfect.org.au. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes so you can go and have a look at that. Tear It Down is a 610 Media production. The cover art was by my talented sister-in-law, Courtney Woods. Theme song, beat number three, by Bubba Beats. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you are listening to this now. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tear It Down Podcast and also at 610 Media Group. If you want to get in touch, you can head to 610mediagroup.com or send an email to info at 610mediagroup.com. That's S-I-X and the number 10. Cheers. If this episode has brought up any issues for you, please seek help. You can reach Lifeline at 131114. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.